Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Good morning, church. Hey, if you have a Bible, open up with me to Acts chapter 9 this morning. Acts chapter 9, with a message entitled, From Witness to Worshiper. Once you're there, if you'll stand with me, we're going to read our text beginning in verse 32. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed, and immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was there with them. But Peter, while she was with them, but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. It became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we just ask you, Lord, to... Move anything out of the way that might hinder us from hearing what you want to say to us this morning. God, we want to silence our hearts before you that we could hear, hear your still small voice as it relates to your purpose for our lives and why you allow circumstances to occur. And when you do move in miraculous ways, what the purpose of that might be. So God, help us to hear from you this morning. And God, we pray if there are any here that don't have a relationship with you through your son Jesus, that today would be the day of reconciliation. That you would bring the dead alive this morning. And so disciple us through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, we pray, God, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So what did it take for you to become a worshiper of Jesus? For most of us in this room, it took something far more than just hearing the gospel because after all, we are awfully stubborn people, amen? Probably took more than us just hearing the gospel, the good news. What did it take? For me, it took a serious battle of anxiety at the age of 24, I had never had anxiety before this, and out of nowhere, it just overwhelmed me. This was the circumstance that God would use to draw me to himself and help me to see my need for Jesus Christ. And man, let me tell you, 
I did see my need for Jesus through that circumstance. I was in a constant state of thinking that I was dying. The, the, the circumstances that presented this idea was I had two friends at a young age. They were 20 in their early 20s, and they both died back to back. And that, that rocked me, being a person that had not gone to church and not really, uh, you know, really focused on eternity at all. I was young, and of course, I'll have plenty of time for that later, if you know what I mean. And so I, I began to process the idea that these two young people that I knew died. And it started to scare me. All of a sudden, I started to wake up in the middle of the night thinking I was dying with these feelings that I had never experienced before. And um, I, I would watch, you know, death on TV. Anything associated with death put me in a panic mode. Like I was so afraid, so fearful, because I had no idea where I was going when I died. I went to the doctor. The doctor handed me a prescription of Prozac and said, you're depressed. And I'm thinking, like, no, no, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I, I've been in an awesome life. I'm not depressed, I promise you. My life is great. I have a smoking hot wife, which she still is to this day. Uh, you know, we travel all the time. Uh, we, we didn't have kids at the time. We had a lot of freedom. We had a lot of expendable income. So we were having an awesome time. I was not depressed. But I was struggling with anxiety. And, and what I realized was God was using that to draw me to himself. He was using that whole idea there. And so uh, one, one night in the wee hours of the morning of a cold Montana, you know, early morning there in December of 1996, I yielded my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And instantly, and I mean instantly, I went from saint to sinner, from witness to worshiper. There was no delay. Uh, the Lord had allowed me to meet uh, a pastor on an airplane just a year or two before that who was in my hometown. And, you know, it was so interesting, the story that God used. He, he, God used this man's testimony in my life to even open me up to the idea of going to church. Because this guy was telling me about how he was raised in a bar a uh, guy was, you know, around alcohol, had, had you know, all these, it's just crazy story um, about drugs and all this kind of stuff. Had, could have been a major baseball, major league baseball pitcher, but he went into the ministry because God rocked him in a way that changed his life, and he wanted to tell people about Jesus the rest of his life. And I'm thinking like, dude, you should probably went into the major leagues. I mean, I'm not a believer. What do I know? But God gave me that introduction for later. And so after I got saved that night, there was a massive change in my heart. I had a desire to go to church, and God had already given me that introduction to this guy. So I went to his church, and lo and behold, that Sunday, I met another guy named Brian Nix who would become my mentor and who would immediately plug me into helping me understand the Word of God and all that kind of stuff. None of this was planned. It wasn't orchestrated. They didn't have the New Believers team that came down and said, if you just accept the Lord, go to the New Believers side. No, it was organic. That's how it's supposed to be, actually. It was an organic process. 
people, interacting with people, understanding where they are in their faith, and then coming alongside those people and helping them grow in their faith. That's what Brian did. For the next two years, Brian would take me through a, a Bible study, uh, Fundamentals of the Faith, to help me understand the very basics of Christianity, and then he would help me to grow in my faith. Through that process, Brian would instruct me, just begin to read the Bible. And so I did. Started to read the Bible. Just start in Matthew and start to read the Bible. And so I'm reading through the Gospels, and um, I, 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 I'm, you know, not tracking at all, but, but, you know, it's good to hear the Word of God, right? So I'm just reading through it, discipline, not understanding a whole lot, because I have no basis, no foundation of any of this. But I'm saved. My life has changed. And as I started to read through the Word, I got to the book of Philippians. This is about a year after I got saved. Still struggling with anxiety, even though I was saved and I had the peace that I was going to heaven, I was still struggling a bit with this. Not nearly as bad, but it was still a, 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 a battle inside of me. And when I came to the book of Philippians, my life changed. God showed me something in the book of Philippians that would become my life first. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. When I read those words, you don't understand the, the comfort and the weight that came off my shoulders, that I understood, uh, you know, the reality that my life, post-Christ, post-coming to the Lord, uh, you know, was now to be lived out for Jesus. Like I had purpose. Number one reason people fail in life is they have no purpose. I had purpose. And now I knew what I was called to do. Called to live for Christ. And then the very struggle that I had, that I was dealing with, the fear of death. Uh, you know, and, and, and the idea to die is gain. To die is gain. God gave me incredible comfort knowing that, hey, Death is not the end for you. Death is a vehicle that delivers you from this life to the next, and you want to live in the next life. That's where you want to be. That's what you're shooting for. And death is the vehicle that gets you there, so praise God for that. You're not going to be trapped in this body of death forever. And you know, only God can reveal these things to you. I know good brothers and sisters come alongside you and they help you try to understand in your struggles, but really, uh, you know, until that aha moment, God can use people, don't get me wrong, but that aha moment of the word of God just hitting you and right specifically in that area where you need to hear it and you have a connection with God that just brings peace, brings comfort, brings assurance, brings you that concrete uh, you know, assurance that you know where you're going. And, I, and from that day forward, the Lord has given me an incredible relief from anxiety. Uh, it, it really has no power over me. Because anxiety itself wasn't the issue. The underlying issue, which the root cause, anxiety was the symptom, the root cause of my problem was a fear of death. I was afraid to die. I didn't know uh, what was going to happen to me. And, and now, as, as I gain more understanding of death through the Word of God, and understanding in, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, that it, that it has no sting, it has, we have victory over it in Christ, and all of these kinds of things, that anxiety began to wane. And I can say 
to you today that I have no anxiety about death, that I'm not afraid to die, that I recognize to die is gain. To die is gain. To die is to be with the Lord, which I want to be with the Lord when he wants me to be with him. You know what I mean? I'm not going today. Don't worry about it. But to die is gain. God showed me that, and that, he used that circumstance, anxiety, to bring me to a place where I would bow my knee. What is your story? What is it that God used in your life? How did he bring you to your knee? For some of you in this room, it, it, it could have been in a negative circumstance situation like myself where, it, you know, it was something difficult, some tragedy, some, some disease, some, some, something like that where you are faced with the reality that you're going to die one day. For others of you, it could be from uh, something that you have experienced or that you've seen, maybe a miraculous moment, and God uses that to draw you to himself that you would yield your heart to Jesus as Lord. Oftentimes in the Bible, we see God use miracles in that way, where he would open up the heart of a person, that they would bow their knee to Jesus. Uh, that's the purpose of miracles, and that's what I want to show you in our text this morning. Uh, Jesus used miracles often to draw people to himself while he walked on this earth. He was the song we sang earlier. He's the miracle maker. He's the miracle worker, Jesus. He does miracles. He does amazing things. And, uh, you know, he leads people to himself through miracles at times. Uh, not, but understand, not everyone who witnessed the miracles of Jesus bowed their knee to Jesus, did they? There were many people who witnessed Jesus Christ doing amazing things. And in fact, the religious leaders are a, a case in point. They knew the things he did, and you know what they said? Now show us something from heaven. Wait a second, I, I've healed people, I've raised people from the dead, I've casted out demons, and you're saying now show me something from heaven? Are you serious? Yeah, because here's the reality. Miracles don't produce faith, and faith is required for salvation. Miracles don't produce faith, and faith is required for salvation. So what do miracles do? Miracles provide the opportunity for faith to exist, for faith to come to pass through the word of God, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, here's what I'll tell you is that in my particular case, hey, the word had been sown in my life. You know, people had been telling me about Jesus uh, since I was a middle schooler. People had told me about Jesus. And I, you know, you think those, uh, those words fall on deaf ears, but they do not. Those words are sown into the heart. And uh, so don't give up on sharing the gospel. You might think like somebody's not hearing you and you're sowing the seed and you're just like, people are just deaf. But I'm telling you, your responsibility is not in the results of your sharing the gospel, that you're faithful to share the gospel because those seeds can come to pass later in life, like my case. God used the sowing of the seed of the gospel in my life in this moment. And when I was opened, when God brought me to that place where I was bowing my knee, the gospel came forward in my mind from the seeds that had been sown. And I said, man, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. How did I know that? Because somebody told me. You see, faith 
was in that moment birthed through the gospel, and that's how it works. When, when a miracle happens, when God does something amazing, you know, that provides the opportunity for the heart to be ready for the, the word to go forward. And maybe the word's already in the person, uh, you know, and it will come forward, but it will require faith, and faith isn't produced by miracles. Because faith isn't, pursued, faith isn't produced by sight. And so faith comes through the weird word of God. And Jesus had performed all kinds of miracles. People saw him do amazing things, and uh, not many people bowed their knee to Jesus. Not many people bowed their knee to Jesus. Jesus had a ton of fans, but he didn't have a lot of followers, folks. You know, he, 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 that didn't stop him from being who he was called to be, by the way. Uh, he continued to do what he was called to do, but uh, Jesus continued to do miracles and such, and he left the results with the Father because he's not responsible for the results. He was responsible to do the Father's will, and so are you. Don't get hung up on what you're seeing because that's not how you're supposed to be walking. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus did miracles, uh, some people bowed their knee, but it was all as a result of the gospel going forward, the, the word of God going forward, and birthing faith in the heart of the person, and the miracle just provided the opportunity for that to happen. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts here, he is, he is turning us from the conversation of Saul to the continuation of the spirit working through the life of Peter now, and he's going to talk to us about miracles and why God uses them and how he uses them in the lives of people. Last week, you recall that Luke was, uh, told us that Saul was sent to Tarshish because the Jews in Jerusalem were, wanted to kill him. He, he ruffled people's feathers everywhere he went because he was now a Christ follower. And so they sent him there to Tarshish, back to his hometown, and verse 31 goes on to tell us so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So the church was going. The church was continuing to go as commanded by Jesus in the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples, he tells us. That's what the church was doing and that's what the church is supposed to be doing today. We should be going in our respective worlds and preaching a message of hope. I don't know if you know this, but the world needs to hear some hope. Look around. It's doom and gloom everywhere, man. Economies are collapsing. Uh, you know, governing authorities are being exposed. People are confused and hurting. Uh, you know, they can't find the truth anywhere. And yet, here we are. The salt and the light of the world, folks. Here we are. Planted in this moment in the history of the world to be a voice box for Jesus for such a time as this. We have the answer that people need to hear, folks. And, you know, we should be willing to go into the world and tell people about that. We're the messengers that have been sent into a chaotic world to bring hope to the hopeless. God is sending you into a world of despair, Hey, just like in Jerusalem, when he dispersed the Christians, it was at a moment of despair. Persecution was coming on the church. Persecution from that day forward would happen to the church. 
Is it subsided in this moment since Saul has become Paul? Not necessarily. They're trying to kill Paul. So they're still experiencing persecution, and yet they are not uh, shirking their responsibility to share the gospel. They are going into all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And notice, they are going with the peace of God upon them. Isn't it nice to be at peace with God? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you are at peace with God. But guess what? You also get to have the peace of God on your life. You walking in the spirit of God, it says that the fruit of the spirit is peace. Man, I just don't feel any peace. That's because you're walking in the flesh. If you're walking in the spirit, the, spirit, the fruit of the spirit is peace. You can have that peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. He's given us peace. These disciples, regardless of their circumstances, they are at peace. And they're being built up. You know what that means? They're growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They're being built up. You know, the more we know about the Lord, the more we understand about his plan and all the things that are going on in the world today, doesn't that give you comfort? Like, doesn't that give you peace? My, my testimony... The reality was I had a lack of understanding of where I was going to go when I died, but when I got that understanding, then I got what? Peace. As I was built up in the Lord, I was encouraged in the Lord, and that brought me to a place of comfort, to a place of peace. Listen, the more you know about the Lord, the more you'll be built up, and the more you'll be able to minister to those who are hopeless in this world today because you have hope within you because you understand the storyline. You know, you're not, you're not shocked at what's going on in the culture today, are you? I mean, you're not worried about what's going to happen, are you? If you are, it's because maybe you're not growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ like you should be. You're knowing the, knowing the, the end of the story. You know, the end of the story is this. God wins. That's the end of the story, folks. I mean, what do we have to worry about? Nothing. And when we put it all in perspective... And we bring it all down to the red letter at the end of the day. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He's the beginning and the end. And he wins, period. We have nothing to worry about. Everything is happening according to plan. We don't have to worry about any of this. And the more that we understand this, the more comfort we have in knowing that, the more freedom that we have to go into the world and tell people about it. So... This church was growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They didn't even have the word of God. They didn't have the full counsel of the Lord. They didn't have the New Testament. And yet on a daily basis, they were, they were growing in that revelation of Jesus. Through the apostles, as the scriptures were being written, they were growing in their understanding of who Jesus was. So amazing. Notice they were walking in the fear of the Lord. You know, we talked about this last week, but... The, the fear of the Lord, the idea that God is to be revered, that he is to be, you know, we should stand in awe of God. And our view of God should shape how we walk in this world. So in other words, if we're walking tenuously in this world and we're concerned about the things going on in the world, I think maybe our view of God is incorrect. Maybe we're more concerned about this place than about him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what he told us to do. Peter, why did you doubt? And then he sunk in the water. He, he, he sunk in the water because he got his eyes on the waves. And he was supposed to keep his eyes on Jesus. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're not going to have to worry about that. The fear of the Lord. 
allowing the fear of the Lord to direct your steps. You know, it was the fear of the Lord that was upon this church. They were not afraid of, the, of what, what man would do to them. They were walking in accordance to the fear of the Lord. They, the, the, the fear of man is a snare, the Bible says. It's a trap, and it ceases you. And, and I'll be frank with you. I think that there is a lot of, in, the, in just in my 20-some years of being in the church, I've seen the church grow tremendously in the fear of the man and yield less to the fear of the Lord. I've seen people be afraid to say something when they know something's right out of concern of what will happen on the horizontal rather than being faithful to the one who we should fear, to the one that holds eternity in his hand. That's the one we should fear. I think people need to speak up. Listen, I don't know if you're hearing the message, folks, but the reality is that the church has been silent and the church needs to start speaking. You know, that's why we're having the, these things coming up with, uh, like, The Sound of Freedom. If you've seen that movie, you know, it's like, hey, what was the issue? The church is silent. What's the issue with, you know, the biblical citizenship and all that kind of stuff? It's the church has been silent. Here's the reality is we can't afford to be silent. We have to be people who are going to fear God because he's the only one we're going to answer to. If you get canceled in this world, so what? Who cares? Because you're not here to make yourself famous. You're here to make Jesus famous. That's why you exist. That's why you have breath in your lungs. This church was fearing the Lord, and therefore, they weren't concerned about the things that they were about to face. They were trusting God. They feared God more than they feared man. And as a result, they had the comfort of the Holy Spirit. He's our comforter, man. He brings comfort into our souls. And no matter what it is that we're going through, he's the comforter. And uh, when, we, when we allow him, you know, the proper place in our heart, we have that comfort that we need for whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. He's our comforter. And the church was, as a result, multiplying. This church was a growing church and thus a going church. They were doing the job that Jesus told them to do, and that was to go into the world and make disciples. This brings us up to verse 32, where Peter now, we join Peter, and Peter is also going. It says in verse 32, now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. Jerusalem was the base camp for the disciples, or for the apostles primarily. We learned that last week. The apostles were kind of camped out in Jerusalem. Didn't mean that they didn't leave Jerusalem. Obviously, we know that Peter and John went to Samaria in Acts chapter 8. We know here that Peter is now moving out of Jerusalem. Not, he, he will come back, but he's going out to, and he's going to here, here and there, being led by the Spirit of God to bring uh, some encouragement to the, the church, to those who are in um, the church in the surrounding areas. And it tells us here that he is led to this place called Lydda. Lydda is located some 25 miles north of Jerusalem. And uh, it is a place where many Westerners have visited. If you've ever been to Israel, I'm, I'm positive that you've been there because you flew right into it. You know where the uh, Ben-Gurion uh, airport is there in, uh, in, in Tel Aviv? That's right the area where Lydda was. So if you've ever flown in there, uh, you can say, like, yeah, I've been there where 
you know, Peter had traveled. I've been there. And if, if you want to, if you want to go there, uh, we're going to Jerusalem in November. You can come with us. We only have two spots left. So you might even see Peter holding a sign up for you. Welcome to Jerusalem, you know. Uh, I doubt you will see that. But if you did, that probably means we're raptured and you won't have to worry about it anyway. So, but uh, notice why Peter is there. It says that he is there to see the saints. Not the football team. If that's what you think, there's something wrong with you. You, you. you need some help there. But he's not there to see the New Orleans Saints. He's there to see the saints. What is a saint? True or false? A saint is a special class of Christian that we should pray to and worship. Only a couple of you are super sure about that. I would expect a little bit louder false because it is false. But nevertheless, it is false. But do you know when you hear the word saint, for some odd reason that makes people think that we're talking about some special class of Christian? Do you know that that's every Christian? Every Christian is a saint. Every Christian who's, who is a believer in Jesus Christ is called a saint. Now what's happened, um, you know, through the corridor of history is the Catholic practice of you know, worshiping and praying to saints. It began around the fourth century. And um, it, when Christianity became the official religion of Rome, according to John Calvin in his book, A Treatise on Relics, he said this about it. He said, the divinities of Greece and Rome were replaced by Christian saints, many of whom received the offices of their pagan predecessors. The church in the beginning tolerated these abuses as a temporary evil, but afterwards unable to remove them. And they became so strong, particularly during the prevailing ignorance of the Middle Ages, that the church ended up legalizing through, their, through her decrees that at which she did nothing but wink at first. Do you know what this says to us today? That we have to take seriously false doctrine, false practices within the church, and we need to call those things out, lest they become the traditions of man. Lest they become the traditions of man. Because you know what happens with the traditions of man, right? They become the law. They be, oftentimes, the tradition of man supersedes the scripture. And that's what's happened in Judaism. That happens in all kinds of different things. You know, in Christianity even. You know, things that we do that are just traditions in the church. All of a sudden, people think, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. You have to do it that way. What, you don't do it that way? It's not even in the Bible. But we hold to our traditions higher than we do oftentimes Scripture itself. Very careful about these things. I hope this isn't a newsflash for you, but we don't worship saints. We don't pray to saints. We worship God and God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we pray to the Father through the Son, not through Mary, not through a Catholic priest, but we pray through the Son and the Son alone. Listen, we can honor those saints that have gone before us, those who have lived their lives for the Lord, but we do not pray to them and we do not worship them. Peter is in Lydia, to visit the believers there and to see how they're faring. This is the job of an overseer and elder in the church. He's to care for the people. 
He's to see how the people are, are doing. He's to walk alongside, to be with the people, to help the people with whatever case they might need, whatever they might need, he's to be there. And Peter was doing his job here. And notice he comes across a man named Aeneas, and Aeneas will become the beneficiary of a miracle number one. Look at verse 33. Then he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the saints of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, all we know about Aeneas here is that he's paralyzed to the point that he's bedridden for eight years. We don't know how old he is. We don't know how it happened. We don't know the cause of the paralysis. We don't know much about anything. We know that whatever paralysis he had was beyond the medical capabilities of his time. But it was not beyond the capabilities of our God, regardless of what that might be. We don't know how Peter met him. Could be that Peter was preaching the gospel here, and uh, he sees this man. He comes across this man, and he sees faith in the face of this man, just like the, the, the apostle Paul would see in a period of time in Scripture where he would look into a crowd and preaching, and he would see faith, and he would call that person out to believe. Maybe this man had heard about Peter early on, that, man, if just Peter's shadow would fall on me, he would, I could be healed. And so he, he's looking by faith. He has confidence that if only Peter were here, I could be helped. And it's so interesting how this goes down. Peter, prompted by the Holy Spirit, we don't know how that or was orchestrated, but Peter, prompted by the Holy Spirit, sees this man and he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Now, perhaps his faith was in Peter in the moment, but look who Peter points him to. Jesus Christ has healed you. Super important that we understand this. You know, that we understand that it's not about the man that God uses, but it's about the Lord that, that is using the man to do whatever it is that he's doing. It's not about Peter. Peter was making it about Jesus and exactly what we should do in every circumstance and situation. He should always get the glory. It's the power in the name of Jesus, not Peter's capability to say be healed that's not what happened it was jesus his jesus christ has healed you oftentimes we look at the person who's being used by god and we think like wow man that person must be really special super christian there look at them and i can assure you that they are not they're just a willing vessel being willing to be used by the lord it was Jesus who was special. I love that Peter's not making it about himself. Hey, I, I think, I could be wrong. It's hard to know. But maybe Peter had been doing that before, but now he's making it all about Jesus. And he's saying, look to Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. He's the one. Everything has changed. You remember the confidence Peter had in himself when, when Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan? When the Lord told him, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die, and I'm going to... Rise again from the dead. And Peter's like, well, far be it for me, Lord. You know, he's like coming up to him like, I'll, I'll stop him, God. You know, he's like, dude, are you serious? Get behind me, Satan. Peter is making it about Jesus. You should be making it about Jesus in your life. Hey, when somebody tells you like, man, you're so gifted at this. 
thank the Lord that he, that he made me that way. Do you know people hate hearing that? Isn't that interesting? I had a business and we were, we, God allowed us to be successful. And, you know, it, w- it was so amazing. And we always gave him the glory. Our corporation name was FHG Corporation, For His Glory Corporation. We did never want to forget about why we're doing what we were doing. It's For His Glory. The company name was called Integrity Nutraceuticals. Our mission statement was to glorify God and to serve others while we provide science-based nutraceutical ingredients for health and well-being, just in case you were wondering. It was all about God, and we put him first, and we kept him first, and we were successful. But you would always, always have people say to me, man, you know, hey, uh, you know, you're super, super gifted at this or that, and I'm like, nah, not really. I'm just, dude, seriously, if you really sat down, if you followed me around, you'd be like, dude, I don't know how God did it. I mean, I'm thinking even, how did God do that through you? You know what I'm saying? That's how I'm thinking. But it was amazing. And God did it all. And God got the glory. But people would get frustrated with me when I would say that. No, no. It's not about, stop trying to make it about me. And it's not about me. It's about the Lord. And, uh, and you know, hopefully he was glorified through all of that. But that's how Peter is here. It ain't about me. It's about Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the one doing the healing. And notice what it says here. And immediately he rose. When Peter said those words, Jesus Christ heals you. It says immediately he rose, not two days later, not three months later, immediately he rose. The name of Jesus has the ability to make impact immediately, on the spot. We're going to see here uh, multiple times in our text today, immediately, immediately, immediately. Why? Because that's how God works. He works immediately. He is in process, you know. Uh, he, he's doing something here in this moment, and he wants everybody to know it's him. So he acts immediately. How can it not be God if it happens immediately? So all eyes are on Jesus in this moment. It was the name of Jesus that healed this man. You might be here this morning, and you think like, yeah, but... I've been speaking the name of Jesus over my situation. I've been laying hands on people. I've been praying in the name of Jesus that people would get healed with expectancy to see that immediate result, and I haven't. And here's what I want to say to you today is that, listen, healing, we should, all, we should pray for it. There's nothing wrong with praying for that, but, but understand that it's not God's will to heal completely here in this life all the time sometimes when a person lives in the state that they're they're in in a in a in a place of struggle in a place of suffering in a place of difficulty god is using that as equally uh, uh you know powerfully as he does other things but we don't want to see it that way we, we, we want to see the miracle of the instant healing we want to see god do that and then if he doesn't we're disappointed and we're thinking like, God, you really let me down. What, I mean, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and you're not showing up. No, no. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And he's working through the situation. And he knows what he's doing. He doesn't always heal. Contrary to many other, uh, you know, faith-based movements in Christianity in this culture today, God's not concerned about your immediate future here. 
what God is concerned about is your future in eternity. That's what he cares about. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care for you. But here's what you need to understand is you're in Christ. You're part of the army of God and he, he gets to use you however he wants to use you. And sometimes he can use you greater in your situation of suffering and how he can strengthen you through that and how he can build you up through that than he can any other way. How do you get a person into um, some of these areas where maybe God wants to share the gospel with somebody who's in the back doors of a hospital other than he take you in through a circumstance? Don't despise your circumstances. And I know that's hard because I, I oftentimes, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through difficulty. I don't want to go through all of that. But, but here's what we need to understand is that regardless of the circumstance, whether it's healing or whether it's strengthening through the process, it's all for the purpose of witness. Whatever it is that you're going through, it's for the purpose of being a witness for Jesus Christ. Listen, I know people personally, that were not supposed to make it past their 20s, that are in their 60s today. And dude, their health sucks. I hope I didn't just violate HIPAA there, but their health is terrible, but God has used their circumstances so much, and he has used them in such great ways uh, to share the gospel and to share with people about how God can strengthen and how he can um, get you over, you know, doubt and hurdles and all these different kinds of things through that process because he's doing that too. Don't despise what you're going through. Understand, God's at work. He is sovereign. He's in control of every circumstance that comes into your life. And, you know, sometimes what, what he is doing isn't fun for us, but it's beneficial for us. It's going to be a vehicle that God will be able to use to glorify his son. Isn't that what we're supposed to be about? Aren't we supposed to be about glorifying Jesus, about making Jesus famous in the world at all cost? Even the sake of my own suffering, Lord. It, in these words... It was for the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross. It was the joy of Jesus to suffer for you and I. It was his joy because he understood that this is temporary. And when we suffer gracefully and we suffer in, in a way that we utilize the moments of, uh, of what we're going through to be a witness to other people, that is powerful. That is, is equally as powerful as God miraculously healing you on the spot and taking you out of that circumstance. It is incredibly uh, powerful to watch God move like that. Don't despise your circumstances. Um, it's not about the here and the now, folks. We have one purpose in this life, and it's to make Jesus famous at all costs, whatever that means for me. And so whatever I'm going through in my life, man, Lord, help me to not allow the circumstances to overwhelm me to a point that I can't see your hand and that I can't allow you to move in and through me uh, in my circumstance. That's my prayer. You know, God, I want to have a heart that's usable. 
in whatever way that you want to use me because I'm yours. And I know that at the end of the day, I will go to be with him one day and I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to allow the Lord to work. You know, sometimes you pray that prayer of healing and, and God doesn't answer that. And you think like, oh, what the heck? I mean, the faith was present. You know, I'm believing, they're believing and all this kind of stuff. But listen, maybe it wasn't his will. Maybe it wasn't his will. Maybe his will is something different. Maybe his will is to do something contrary to what we want. But that's where we surrender to the Lord. And we say, your will be done, Jesus. Your will be done. Here's what happens as Peter lays hands on this dude and ends up, this guy gets healed in the name of Jesus, he's healed. Doesn't even say he lays hands on him. I don't want to be accused of saying something beyond the scripture here, but in the name of Jesus, he rose, he's healed. And look at it, it says here in verse 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. All the residents, it doesn't just say some of them. A lot of theologians want to say, oh no, it's just some of them. No, no, it says all. And last time I checked in the Greek, all means all. That's what it means. I don't know why people do that. I just take it literally, and if it means something different, I guess the Lord will show me. But, but at the end of the day, what I want you to understand is that they all, they all turned. They turned. They, they turned away from themselves. They turned away from their own life, and they turned to the Lord. This, is, this phrase, uh, you know, to turn to the Lord, it means uh, that they had a change of mind and a change of direction. This is what we call godly sorrow that produces repentance. They saw what had happened here, and all of a sudden, the Lord just causes all these people to, to come to Christ in this moment. They were no longer trusting in their own dead works. The veil was lifted, and freedom was granted. God had healed Aeneas for his glory and for the sake of the entire community there, and not just in Lydda, but in the plains of Sharon, all the surrounding area, people heard about what had happened and it gave the opportunity for the gospel to go forward to produce faith and people to get saved. God healed Aeneas for his glory. Here's what I hope that didn't happen to Aeneas, that he went back to his nine to five to make a good living for his family for the next couple of decades until he died. That's what I hope didn't happen to Aeneas because the point in which God worked in his life was that he would go out and share that with everybody that he could. Every person around him, that they, he would go out and share that God had healed him. You know, that's what we're supposed to do with the, the circumstances that, uh, you know, God works through in our lives, whether it's strengthening us through it or whether he, whether he does some miraculous thing through it. We're supposed to use those moments to tell other people about it. Yeah, but I don't really want to tell people. Then the people don't think I'm perfect and I want them to see me as perfect because I fear man more than I fear God. Here's what I would say is you don't have an understanding of what your call is. Your call is to utilize everything in your life to bring glory to God. And hey, if it makes you, and, it, and hey, there are times where if you feel it's, it's, you know, I don't think you have to share your whole life, but there are moments that God has done specifically in your life that you have to share. 
if you've been healed by God and he's touched your life and you're holding on to that and you're not telling anybody about it, what are you doing? He wants to, you to share that with other people. That's going to build the body up. That's going to help other people come to the realization of the power of the gospel. It's going to help people. It's going to provide an opportunity for faith to explode in the heart of somebody. Why would you hold that back? Share your story. Share it with whoever God would open up the doors for you to share it with. Share it with somebody. That is the purpose of it. Because honestly, if you're not doing that, then, then you're not really fulfilling your mission here on earth. Because that is your mission. We're not, we're not to just be nine to fivers trying to make a good living for our life until we go to heaven. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. You can make a good living for your family and all that kind of stuff, but you should be a witness for Christ through the whole process. There shouldn't be a place where you're not representing Christ, if you know what I mean. You know, in other words, we hang up our Christian hat on Monday morning and we go to work till Friday afternoon. Then we come home and we put it back on. That's not the way it works. You're not, uh, you're not a whatever you do for your living. I wasn't a businessman who happens to be a Christian. I was a Christian who happens to be a businessman. Do not mix that up. You were called to go into the world as a Christ follower and a propagator sent by Jesus into the world to do whatever it is that you're doing for the purpose of witness for him. That's the call, man. That's what we're called to do. And like I said, I think that, that people have gotten, gotten, you know, to a point of silence because we're afraid to say stuff to people because we're concerned about what they might think of us. Man, I can, I, I'll tell you this, I, can, I care more about what God thinks than I do anybody else. God has appointments for you all over the place. Will you take them? Will you stand for them? Will you ask the tough questions? I had an opportunity this last week. I was up in Kansas helping my son, and his plumbing got messed up. So he's on a base in Kansas, and they called the guy, and the guy came over, and he's sitting here talking to, you know, he's, I just started talking to him, and uh, before I know it, the guy's opening up, and I'm like, whoa, whoa. Aren't we supposed to keep... Uh, church and state, you know, separated here, uh, you know, not, not really, but he started opening up, and I was like, oh, okay, this is an opportunity. This is God opening up a door for witness. So the guy starts sharing all this stuff about how, you know, as we, after we got over the catfish stories, by the way, but, uh, you know, got to the place where we were talking about, you know, I said, well, well, I said something like, man, well, I'm, I'm just thankful that the Lord is coming back soon, and, 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 uh, you know, it, it led me to a conversation where he told me about uh, his son had died at 17 years old. And, and um, you know, it really, really hurt him. But uh, he was a guy who was proclaiming faith and stuff. And I said, um, I said, you know, well, you know, if your son was a believer, then, man, he's, he's in heaven with the Lord and all that. But I said to him, let me ask you this question. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Are you ready to go to see Jesus right now? You know? And you might think, like, well, why did you say that? Because those are the questions that we should be asking people. Like, we shouldn't assume because somebody calls themselves something that they have Christ. 
Like, if you dig into the surface of that and you understand, like, what, is, what does that mean to have Christ? Is this just a, a, a profession of faith that, that has no life behind it? There's not, not been a change? Then that's not real. And our responsibility when God opens up that window is that we would dig in and ask some questions. I don't, you can ask me any question you want about that. I don't take that in offense. And if you're a believer, I wouldn't think you would. And I asked the guy, I said, so are you, you know, are you ready? And he said, yeah, I think I am. And you know what I said next? What makes you ready? What makes you ready? Like how, how are you ready? Why are you ready? And I think this guy had a genuine relationship with the Lord. Yeah, because I believe in Jesus and he's the way, the truth, and the life. And I said, amen, brother. That's awesome. You know, and, and had an opportunity to minister to the guy. It was awesome. But, but what I'm saying is that wasn't coincidence. That was a divine appointment that God set up. And I wonder how many of those we pass because we don't want to ask a question because it gets a little tense at times. You know, and nobody's looking for confrontation, but uh, I, I'm tired of not being vocal. I'm gonna, I want to ask people the questions the Holy Spirit puts on my heart to ask people. And I'm not going to be ashamed of that. And I hope you are too. I hope you're being, listen, we're, we're called to be radical for Jesus in the culture. And, you know, we're not, not the kind of people that make it on the news. That's not, not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about genuine believers in Christ these guys in the early church were radical, man, in their culture. People looked at them like, you guys are insane. You know what? Here's what's interesting about our culture today. People don't know you're a Christian or not. That's kind of what's happened. We just sort of blend into the culture, and no one knows the difference. And I'm not saying you've got to become Amish. But, but people should know. People should know by the way that you live your life and by the things that you say where you are. They should know who you are. They should know that you are a follower of Christ simply by that. They shouldn't even have to ask a question. Peter, he does what the Lord calls him to do. And man, uh, God gives the miracle that paves the way for the gospel to go forward. And many people believe this moves us to uh, miracle number two in Joppa. Verse 36, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing uh, that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while uh, she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turned to the body uh, turned to the body he said Tabitha arise and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up then calling the saints and widows he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa and many people and many believed in the Lord so Peter being led by the spirit here will find himself in Joppa by way of a couple men who come to Lydda where he is. They hear about the story um, that he's there and their, their dear Saint Tabitha has died and so they go ask for Peter's help. Uh, Dorcas or the, you know, Dorcas in the, in the Greek doesn't mean dork. I know you were thinking that, but it doesn't. It, it means gazelle or deer and it matches her her. 
her, really, the way that she lived her life matched her name. She was graceful like a gazelle in the wild, man. She was graceful in the Christian community. She was full of good works and, chair, and acts of charity. She was one of those kind of saints that made massive impact on the body of Christ. No matter where she was, she made impact. She was a person who was sold out to the Lord, and she was full of good works. She just didn't do a few good works. She's full of them, and she's full of charity. She does, she's showing love towards those uh, that she comes in contact with. Obviously, she's, uh, she's, she makes things, you know. She makes tunics and, and garments and such, and so she probably blesses people with these kinds of things or whatever. But she's the kind of saint that when, uh, when they go to home to be with the Lord, the body really feels it. Like, there's, a, there's an absence. Like, there's just... Like, there's no more Dorcas. Like, where is that vibe? Where is that, that love and that charity and, that, and, and those works? Where are they at? There, there's a hole there. She, she was living her life. She was a vibrant lady, and now she has she is died. And so these men come to Peter, and they say, come without delay. And so delete, Peter goes the 10 miles there to um, Joppa, and he goes into the room there, and as soon as he enters the room, he's christened by the tears and the mourning cries of the widows there um, who are remembering Dorcas and all the things that she had done there. And what does Peter do in this moment? He's looking around. You know, it's so interesting, as a, at, not just as a pastor, but any person who's a Christian, you know, sometimes because you're a Christian, you're put in situations where you're like, uh, I don't know what to do here. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to what's going on in this situation. You know, you ever been there before? Where, where someone's invited you into a situation and, and because they know you're a believer and you're in there going, man, I don't know what to do. What should I do? I think Peter's in that situation. He's walked into a, this place and I think he looks down and he sees that bracelet on his wrist that says WWJD. You know the one. Everybody has one of those bracelets, you know, uh, back in the 80s anyway. But uh, that, that's what I think Peter's saying to himself. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus respond to this situation? Isn't that, that's a great question to ask yourself. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, what would Jesus do here? Isn't that what our brains do? What does the word of God say about this situation? How should I, what should I do about it? And Peter, what would Jesus do? I'm pretty sure that it would cause him to recall a moment where Jesus was in the same situation, where there was a little girl dead in a room with a bunch of mourners. And, the, and, and Peter had, had been privileged by Jesus. It was Peter, James, and John. They were the only three out of the 12 that were allowed to go with Jesus to Jairus' house, the ruler of the synagogue, uh, to, uh, you know, encounter this dead girl. And in Mark chapter 5, verses 39 through 42, we find the storyline of what happens. It says that, and when he, Jesus, had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took their uh, child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, uh, Talitha kuma, 
Kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Verse 42, then immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Notice the words immediately, twice there. They were, she immediately got up, and the people, when they saw it, they were immediately overcome with amazement. This was, this was a moment when Jesus was working, and it was immediate that these people experienced these things. Peter's now faced the same situation, so he does what Jesus would do. He sees the people in the room, and he says, hey, you guys go outside. Why is he putting them outside? Because he doesn't want any doubters in the room. He doesn't want any doubters in the room. That's why Jesus put the other people outside because they laughed at him when she said he was, she was only sleeping and, uh, and that he was going to raise her. But they were doubters. So he set them outside. And, um, and notice what it says here. Then what did Peter do? He's like, okay, check. Set them outside just like Jesus did. Now what do I do? I think he did what Jesus w- w- would have done. Uh, or what Jesus would have him do. He focuses not on himself in this situation, but he goes to the Father. Notice what he does first. It says that he kneels. This is in surrender to God. Like Peter has nothing to offer in this situation. He cannot do a single thing. He is surrendered to God. He wants to know God's will in this situation. I kneel before you, Father. He kneels before the Lord in surrender to the Lord in submission to God, and then he prays in dependence to God. Again, can Peter raise this person from the dead? No. He has no power to do that. He's dependent on God to do that. So he prays. He asks the Lord. And then he turns to her. He knelt first, then he prayed, and then he turned to her. He didn't just walk in and say, Tabitha, arise. No, no. He, he had to know this was the Lord. He had to know God was was calling him to do this. And so he did what you ought to do in these situations. You seek the Lord. You humble yourself before the Lord. And then you seek his face for his will. And then you do what he tells you to do by the spirit of God. And that's exactly what he does here. And we see the result. She's raised from the dead. It's a miracle. This is not something Peter's done. This is something that Jesus has done. And Peter just be, is, is just the vehicle that God has used to do that. Let me ask you a question. If you were called into that situation and, and you followed this process and you felt the Lord doing that, would you do it? Felt the Lord calling you to call it or to raise? Man, I gotta be honest with you. I don't know if I would do that. That's beyond my comprehension. That's a lack of faith, isn't it? That's a lack of faith. Do I trust God that he will lead me into a situation and if he leads me to do something, if I do it, that he's going to set me up to fail? Listen, I would, uh, I would rather err on the side of stepping out by faith, believing God has called me to do something than not do it because I've done that. And that's a, that's a prison, man, to not be in God's will. Like when you know God's called you to do something and you don't do it, And now you're sitting there going, the rest of your life going, man, what would have happened if I would have done that? You know, be willing to step out by faith. You know, I know this, and by the way, this didn't happen all the time. They didn't just raise people from the dead. It's not like they went to, you know, cemeteries and started raising people from the dead. It happened rarely, but it did happen. And I think it still happens to this day. 
But the point of the matter is that, why did it happen in the story? Why did God choose here to raise her from the dead? Wasn't it a point? Of, the, the point of it was for the purpose of witness, that others would come to Christ through this situation. And that's exactly what happens here. Um, you know, Tabitha's raised, and it tells us that the whole community around her heard about it, and that they, uh, many came to Christ. Peter presenting her alive. That's an amazing miracle that has happened. But, but it happened as a result of Peter doing these three things. He knelt, he prayed, and then he acted. He didn't do the first. He didn't act first. And sometimes when we lose our loved ones, we get angry with the Lord when he, when he doesn't allow them to be healed or he doesn't save them from death, you know? And we think like, oh man, Lord, what are you doing? I, I, I just felt compelled to share with you this morning that God's view of death is different than yours. It's totally different than yours. And in fact, the Bible tells us God's view of death for the saint and he tells us God's view of death for the sinner. For that, someone who's reconciled to Christ and someone who's not. For those who are reconciled to Christ, Psalm 116, 15, it says this, precious in the, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why is it precious? Because it's a homecoming for the believer. Isn't that what we're living for? Like we're living to go to be with the Lord, right? It's precious in God's eyes when believers come to Christ because they're no longer suffering. They no longer have, uh, you know, no more tears, no more sorrow, you know, no more pain, no more suffering. Your struggle with sin is over when you go home to be with the Lord. That's why death is gain in Philippians 1.21 because all of this fades away. And in that moment, you see Jesus. Tabitha was in heaven, by the way, when she died to be absent from the bodies, present with the Lord. <laughs> How would you think she would have felt when she woke up to the ugly mug of Peter like, whoa. Like, I just beheld the glory of God, and now here, there's Peter. Oh, man, I'm going to ask her when I get to heaven, like, hey, what was that like? But, but God, it's, it's precious for a saint to die in God's eyes because we go to be with him, and he longs for that. Equally, concerning the death of an unbeliever, Ezekiel 33, verse 11 says, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God's heart for people is that they would be saved. God's heart is that no one would perish, that people would not die in a state of depravity, but that they would be regenerated and born again. That's his heart for people. We rejoice sometimes when wicked people die. God doesn't. God doesn't rejoice at that. God, re God doesn't rejoice at the fact that that person will be departed for all of eternity. They will be separated from him. We all have a day coming when, we'll, when we will breathe our last breath. And for those who are in Christ, man, you get to go home to be with the Lord. For those who are not in Christ, guess what? You depart and you'll never this is the best it will ever get for you. That's the saddest thing to say. But this is the best it ever gets for the unbeliever. For those who have gone on before me, my dad, my, my brother, who are believers, you know, in heaven. 
I wouldn't want them to come back if I had that option. Because they're in heaven. Man, they're rejoicing. And you know, when I think about that, I think like, oh, man, how, how amazing. Why? Because it's so much better. <laughs> they don't have the struggles that they had on earth. They don't have to deal with any of that stuff. And do I miss them? Yeah, but not enough to, to want to bring them back from there. That's an amazing place, man. They're having their best life, you know, ever there. Coming back for me? Uh-uh. No way. That's what we long for. But for those, dude, those people that have gone on before me that didn't know the Lord, that rocks me, and that hurts my heart. You know, I, I, I remember the first time after coming a believer and watching somebody that I know that I really cared about die, and I knew that they didn't have a relationship with the Lord, dude, it rocked me for days. It rocked me for days. But, it, but at the same token, the Lord told me, hey, you know what, Tim? That should motivate you to go into the world and tell people about Jesus because you don't want to ever feel that way. You know, you want to know that you've shared the gospel with people and that kind of stuff. Many people believe, but there were plenty of people that didn't in that moment. And they would perish. Verse 43, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon Tanner. And this we'll get into next week, but this is a miracle in and of itself that Peter would stay in the house of a Tanner, somebody who handles dead bodies as a Jew, that was, a, that was a cultural no-no. People wouldn't do that. And what, what God's going to do next week, he's going to show us that Peter was dealing with some legalisms in his heart that he hadn't weighed out yet. And, uh, you know, sometimes God awakens us to that reality too, that we have some legalisms in our heart, that we don't fully grasp grace yet. But he's going to show Peter all about that next week. So the moral of the account here that we just read is that miracles are used for the sake of witness. That's why God does those things here on earth. They prepare our heart. They prepare the heart of, of people for the gospel so that they can move from witness to worshiper. And I want to encourage you, if you've ever prayed for a miracle and it's happened or you've, you know, you've uh, been healed by, uh, by God in some way, shape, or form, that you share that, that you don't hold on to that, man, that you go tell as many people as you can, God can heal. He does heal. He does these things, and that you would witness for him. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and Lord, we ask you to just use the words that were uh, shared here today, Lord, to draw our hearts closer to you, that you would give us better understanding of what you're doing in this world, Father, that you, you love us and you care for us, but ultimately, you're all about the plan that you have deployed in this world, and may we, may, may our hearts be drawn to that plan. May we desire what you desire, God. Would you just, Lord, help us to desire your will more than anything? And, and we ask you, Lord, for anyone here this morning, God, that is in, in a place of struggling and, and just, you know, not sure where uh, their eternity lies, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself through whatever circumstances that you've allowed into their heart, that they would recognize that even this morning, that the circumstances that have been allowed in their life are the, for, for the purpose of drawing them to you, and that they would be willing to bow their knee and to declare the lordship of Jesus over their lives this morning. And so, Lord, for the rest of us, will you encourage us and remind us of all the great things that you've done in our life, Lord, that we could use these things as a witness for you because it is all about you. It's all about your glory, Lord. We thank you for the time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us? 
Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.